0: Today is February 11th, but on this day in history, February 11th, 1855, Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon entitled, Christ Crucified. Now, in today's episode of Today in Church History, I want to do something a little bit different. Typically, what I do is I will take an event in church history. It might be the birth of a famous preacher or the death of a famous theologian, or it could be a period in church history, a certain date in which a church council met to decide important theological matters. Uh, But today, I want to do something a little bit different. This podcast is going to be a little bit longer, Because what I want to do is look at this sermon that Charles Spurgeon preached on February the 11th, 1855, and I want to read to you an excerpt from this sermon where Spurgeon makes, how can I put it, a very provocative statement that I'm going to go out on a limb and say some of my listeners probably are going to be shocked that he made a statement like this. Some people who listen to this may even disagree with the Prince of Preachers and what he says. But it is going to be my um, goal in this podcast to defend what Spurgeon said and also try to explain what I think he meant by what he said. Now, the title of the sermon is Christ Crucified. And the text is 1 Corinthians 1 verses 23 and 24. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So as I said, I want this podcast to be somewhat different than my other podcasts, which are filled with a lot of facts concerning history, um, where at the end, I try to tie in some practical application and they're usually pretty short. This one's gonna be a little bit longer, so I want you to hang with me because it has a very practical aim. There's gonna be less facts about Charles Spurgeon, less facts about this sermon. In fact, I'm just going to read uh, just one excerpt from the beginning of this sermon and then elaborate uh, upon what Spurgeon says and why I think it's significant that he said what he said, and why I agree with what he said, and why I think you too should agree with what he said, particularly if you call yourself a Calvinist or if you swim in the stream of the Reformed tradition. And perhaps you're listening to this and maybe you are criticized by your friends or maybe your relatives or maybe other Christians that you know because they know that you're a Calvinist. And maybe they give you a hard time about the fact that you are a Calvinist and they don't understand why you are a Calvinist. Well, I think Spurgeon hits the nail on the head and what he says at the beginning of this sermon. Once again, this sermon was delivered on February the 11th, 18. Fifty-five. He makes some introductory remarks uh, briefly at the beginning of this sermon before he makes this statement. And I want you to listen to the quote in its entirety, but it's the line at the very end which I'll highlight for you, which I want you to pay particular attention to. Spurgeon says, and I quote, Before I enter upon our text, let me briefly tell you what I believe preaching Christ in Him crucified is. My friends, I do not believe it is preaching Christ and Him crucified to give people a batch of philosophy every Sunday morning and evening and neglect the truths of this holy book. I do not believe it is preaching Christ and Him crucified to leave out the main cardinal doctrines of the Word of God and preach a religion which is all a mist and a haze without any definite truths whatever. I take it that man does not preach Christ and Him crucified who can get through a sermon without mentioning Christ's name once nor does that man preach Christ in him crucified, who leaves out the Holy Spirit's work, who never says a word about the Holy Ghost, so that indeed the hearers might say, we do not so much as know whether there be a Holy Ghost. And here's what I want you to pay attention to. He goes on to say, and I have my own private opinion that there is no such thing as preaching Christ in him crucified unless you preach what nowadays are you ready for it, is called Calvinism. Let me repeat that. Spurgeon says, there is no such thing as preaching Christ and him crucified unless you preach what nowadays is called Calvinism. He goes on to say, I have my own ideas and those I always state boldly. It is a nickname to call it Calvinism. Calvinism is the gospel and nothing else. Spurgeon says Calvinism is the gospel and nothing else. Now that is quite a provocative statement. He is referring to a particular uh, part of theology that we call soteriology, which deals with the salvation of man. How does God save man? And of course, as Calvinists, we believe that God saves man. Man does not save man. Man does not persuade God to save man. No, God saves man. Christ died upon the cross for his people that he might save them. This is not a potential atonement. It is an actual atonement that was executed by God and God alone. Man has nothing to do with his salvation. And what Spurgeon is simply saying is that to preach Christ faithfully and accurately and biblically requires in its most pure proclamation of the gospel, the doctrines of grace or what we refer to as Calvinism. Now, I realize that some people listening may not be familiar with what we commonly call the five points of Calvinism. It is often put together in an acronym known as TULIP. The T stands for total depravity. The U stands for unconditional election. The L stands for limited atonement, but I would prefer the term definite atonement. The I stands for irresistible grace but I would prefer the term effectual calling. And then the P stands for the perseverance of the saints or what we could call persevering grace. So those are the five points, total depravity, unconditional election, definite atonement, effectual calling, and persevering grace. Now, he's preaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24 where Paul says that we preach Christ crucified. So he's dealing with the concept of preaching Christ, preaching the gospel, so he's dealing with the category of soteriology. He is not necessarily talking about eschatology. He is not even talking about ecclesiology. He is primarily speaking about soteriology. And usually when we use the word Calvinism, or we refer to ourselves as Calvinists, we are basically communicating the simple truth that we believe God has everything to do with salvation. Man has nothing to do with it. So if man is saved, he is simply responding by the power of the Holy Spirit, being effectually called by God's irresistible grace. He's being raised from his deadness and sins and trespasses to believe in Christ as his Savior, to repent of his or her sins, and that a true believer will be preserved. There is security. God sovereignly saves believers. God sovereignly keeps believers. Now I realize that there are what we would call TR people. TR standing for the Thoroughly Reformed, (laughs) and those people uh, would say that a true Calvinist can't simply hold to the five points of Calvinism, but they need to truly embrace everything that Calvin preached and taught. They need to embrace everything that is commonly recognized as fitting within the system of Reformed doctrine or the Reformed tradition. That's sort of a different subject for another day. What I want to deal with today in this podcast is what are the benefits of agreeing with Charles Spurgeon? If what Charles Spurgeon says is true, and that is, as I quote, Calvinism is the gospel and nothing else. And as he says, there is no such thing as preaching Christ and him crucified unless you preach what nowadays is called Calvinism. What are the benefits of agreeing with Spurgeon on this point? Let me put it to you a different way. What advantage is it for those who hold to the doctrines of grace to claim they're Calvinists? You know, because there are some people who say, well, it's better that we not identify with a man. After all, Calvin was not perfect. Calvin was a sinner. Calvin had flaws some of them glaring and some of them public people would say so why are we associating with Calvin let's associate with Christ and maybe you've heard people say we have no creed but Christ that sounds really spiritual we have no creed but Christ But the question is is that really a responsible way to identify your beliefs as a Christian I would suggest, although the people that say we have no creed but Christ, although their hearts might be in the right place because they're motivated by wanting to be subservient to scripture alone, which we would affirm wholeheartedly and which by the way Calvin himself would affirm, I would argue that that is too simplistic for the day and age we live in because people are coming up with different belief systems, that are outside of Scripture, they are outside of what even Christ himself taught, and they are saying, well, we have no creed but Christ. But in saying that, they're actually departing from what Christ taught and preached. For example, Jesus is clear in John 10, Jesus is clear in John chapter six regarding the effectual calling of sinners, the irresistible grace of God. Jesus put it this way, no man can come to the Father unless he is drawn. So there is the sovereignty of God that is found throughout the preaching and the teaching of Jesus himself. Calvin held and promoted the sovereignty of God the election of God. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Well, that is the doctrine of unconditional election, which John Calvin held to, and John Calvin preached. So with that as a foundation, what I wanna provide for you, just to make this simple, are five reasons why I think the term Calvinism is a helpful label. If you believe in unconditional election, if you believe in total depravity, if you believe in irresistible grace, if you believe in definite atonement, if you believe in persevering grace, the five points of what we call Calvinism, why is it helpful to use that term Calvinism? And why is it helpful rather than detrimental to identify as a Calvinist? Okay, so here are five reasons, I think the label Calvinist is helpful. Reason number one, I think it is helpful to call yourself a Calvinist if you hold to those five points because it provides an opportunity to remove the caricatures of Calvinism. One of the caricatures of Calvinism is that Calvinists are not evangelistic. That is simply not true. If you study church history, you will find that John Calvin sent missionaries, all throughout Europe, and even attempted to send missionaries into Brazil because he understood the importance of preaching the gospel. Calvin himself was a preacher by trade. He was a preacher. So every Lord's Day, and actually multiple times throughout the week, Calvin preached anywhere from five to seven sermons a week during the duration of his ministry. He gave himself to proclaiming the gospel. He gave himself to urging sinners to repent from their sin. So when you call yourself a Calvinist and someone says, well, how can you call yourself a Calvinist when Calvinists don't believe in evangelism and Calvin himself was not an evangelist? It provides an opportunity for you to remove some of those caricatures of Calvinism to alleviate some of the ignorance that is pervasive around Calvinism and to help people understand historically who Calvin was and what he taught and preached. The second reason why I think the term Calvinist or the label Calvinist is helpful is because it's a shorthand expression of what is often called the doctrines of grace, which help us clearly define what we believe. So let me give you an example. When you are talking to maybe an unbeliever, or maybe an immature believer, and they're asking you questions about scripture, maybe a particular passage, what this passage means, maybe a particular doctrine, you can really get to the kernel of what needs to be addressed if you lay out before them where you are coming from, the system in which you are swimming, the convictions to which you hold to, there's only 24 hours in a day so the label calvinism or calvinist is a shorthand way to say look this is what i believe before we even begin this discussion of for instance the free will of man or we begin a discussion regarding evangelism I want you to understand that I'm a Calvinist. And here's what I mean when I say I'm a Calvinist. And you go through those five points. It's a shorthand expression, Calvinism, to indicate the stream of theology in which you swim in. And it can really get to the heart of some of the questions and issues that people have. It's a helpful term in that sense. I think another helpful term is the term reformed. You know there's a lot of people that are beginning to not like that term reformed because it associates one with john calvin and calvinism and all the things that come with that but i don't think we need to be afraid of that term reformed let me give you sort of an example from my own life in ministry before pastoring the church that i currently pastor christ reformed community church here in florida i pastored a church that was very antagonistic toward Calvinism. Now, they were antagonistic toward it, not because they understood what it was. Um, They didn't understand what it was. They, They had been basically brainwashed by people who told them what Calvinism was, except the problem was those people were not explaining what true Calvinism was. And so you find yourself sometimes spinning your wheels in the mud if you become afraid of the term Calvinist or Calvinism. Someone who is a Calvinist does not have a disease, but that's often kind of the way Calvinists are viewed. I think it's better to lay the cards out on the table. Don't be ashamed of calling yourself a Calvinist. Don't be afraid of calling yourself a Calvinist. Don't be afraid of calling yourself Reformed. So when we started the church that I now pastor, we purposely put the word Reformed in the title. And my argument for that was simple. So that people driving by who see our sign or people who are perusing the internet looking for a church in this area, they will know from the outset this is a reformed church. This is a Calvinistic church. That alleviates confusion. It alleviates um, the pressure of trying to hide what you believe. You just say what you believe. You identify with Calvinism. And that way people understand where you're coming from it is a shorthand expression of basically telling people what you believe concerning the doctrines of grace so i'm giving five reasons why i think the term calvinism or the label calvinist is helpful number one it provides an opportunity to remove the caricatures of calvinism open discussion. Number two, it's a shorthand expression of what is often called the doctrines of grace, which can really get to the heart of some of the issues and questions people may have. Number three, and this flows from the first two, I think it opens the door when you use the term Calvinist, I think it opens the door to history. In other words, it forces people to study who John Calvin was, and it forces them to study the movement behind John Calvin and how God used him to impact the world with biblical truth. So there are a lot of misunderstandings about Calvin uh, regarding his personality, many of which are untrue, uh, regarding his motives, most of which are untrue, uh, at least the negative caricatures of him. So when you use the term Calvinism, or you call yourself a Calvinist, you're opening the door to history, helping explain to people, not just the doctrine of John Calvin himself as a man, but the movement behind the man. So you get into um, how Calvinism spread throughout Europe, how it then spread to you know places like England and Scotland, and then how it spread to the United States and the formation of the United States with the vast majority of Puritans being card-carrying, unashamed Calvinists. Now that not only impacts our understanding of our own heritage as Americans, but it also, if you study Calvinism, you will find that Calvinism as a system, and even secular historians will admit this, had far-reaching implications, even for the way governments of the world function, even regarding democracy and republics and these sorts of things. So it opens the doors to church history when you use the term Calvinism. Now you need to understand a little bit about history, you need to understand who John Calvin was, and you need to have some knowledge regarding the impact of Calvin, not just on the church but on the world at large, but if you have that, it opens the doors to history and it informs people and it gives to them greater clarity as to why you would want to call yourself a Calvinist. The fourth reason that I think it's helpful to use the label Calvinist is that there's nothing inherently evil or sinful about identifying with another Christian brother or sister in church history who emulated godliness. There's nothing sinful about associating with great Christians throughout history. In fact, the Apostle Paul would make this statement. He would say in the Bible, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now you think what Spurgeon said when he said Calvinism is the gospel and nothing else, you think that was provocative. What about Paul's words? Paul says, imitate me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. The Apostle Paul, who was a sinner and who admitted that he was a sinner and even exposed his struggle with sin in Romans chapter 7 says, listen, church, imitate me, emulate me, use me as a model insofar as I imitate Christ. In fact, that is a command the Apostle gives, as he writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to imitate him. The principle that we derive from this is that it's not inherently sinful or evil to emulate others throughout church history who who have lived godly lives and who the Lord has used. Calvin certainly was a man who was godly. He was a man who was holy. He was a man who pursued sanctification. He is a man that we can emulate, not only in his life, but also in his doctrine. So five reasons why I think the label Calvinist is helpful. Five reasons why I think you should call yourself a Calvinist if you hold to the five points of the doctrines of grace. Number one, it provides an opportunity to remove the caricatures of Calvinism. Number two, it's a shorthand expression of what is often called the doctrines of grace that clearly define your belief system. Number three, it opens the doors to church history, forcing people to study who John Calvin was, the movement behind John Calvin, and how God used John Calvin to impact the world with biblical truth. Number four, because there's nothing inherently evil or sinful about identifying with someone God has used throughout church history. And finally, number five, using the label Calvinist, or calling yourself a Calvinist, or saying that you hold to Calvinism, provides an opportunity to be honest regarding areas of disagreement you may have with Calvin. So what I'm saying here is that you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can honestly look at areas that you might disagree with Calvin on and say, look, I'm a Calvinist. But that doesn't mean that I agree with everything that he said. Here's one thing Calvin said in his commentary, or one thing Calvin said in a sermon that I don't agree with. I think Calvin was wrong on that. And here's why I think he was wrong. Not just because it's my opinion, but because of this chapter and this verse, which seems to go against what Calvin is saying on page 68 of his commentary on, for instance, uh, the Psalms or whatever it may be. I think this is helpful because it actually shows people that you're not a robot. You're not just following a man for the sake of following a man. Calvin believed what he believed. Calvin said what he said. Calvin preached what he preached because he was convinced scripture preached it. Calvin's convictions were scripture's convictions in Calvin's mind. And when you use the label Calvinist, And someone says, well, what about this? Calvin said this, do you agree with this? Well, if you don't agree with it, then you can be honest and say, no, I don't agree with it. And here's why I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it because I held to the same principle Calvin himself held to, which was sola scriptura. And I believe the Bible teaches something different than what Calvin said in this particular case. So friends, we are entering a period in church history that for us is new. We're entering a period in church history where it is no longer acceptable not to have convictions. It is no longer acceptable to say, I don't know what I believe. Or, what I believe is not that important. Or, your truth is just as good as my truth. No, that's no longer acceptable. Lines are being drawn in the sand. True Christians are coming to the surface. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it. And you need to be able to express what you believe in a way that identifies yourself with with what other Christians have believed throughout church history as they have followed the Scriptures themselves. We're living in a time period in which courage and perseverance is going to be more important than ever. But the thing that fuels courage and perseverance is conviction. Conviction is the foundation upon which the Christian stands or falls. If you have the foundation of conviction, you will have the courage to stand up for what you believe and you'll have the perseverance to continue standing up for what you believe in. So I agree with Spurgeon. I believe that there is no such thing as preaching Christ and Him crucified unless you preach what nowadays is called Calvinism. Calvinism is the gospel and nothing else. It is the purest and most biblical expression of the precious gospel that is revealed to us in the inspired pages of Scripture. This is my conviction, and I hope and pray it is your conviction as well. You've been listening to Today in Church History. To access more of these podcasts, you can visit my website, www.pastorandrewsmith.com. If you would like to subscribe to these podcasts, please visit Apple iTunes. Search for Today in Church History. Remember to spell history H-I-S hyphen S-T-O-R-Y.